to Good Looking Out, episode number five. Good Looking Out is a podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to, because life is too short to waste time and money on bad shit. I'm Eric. I'm Jason. Just as a reminder, I co-host this podcast with Jason Santos, who is a bit of a Faulknerian idiot man-child who can't be held entirely responsible for the filth that spews forth from his gob. So, keep your kids away. (laughs) All right, let's get to it. Uh, this week we're going back to our usual format, and we're kicking off with Watch. And the theme for Watch this week was your favorite animated movie or TV series of all time. So, um, not a uh, an enormous part of my life. Don't love anime to the point where it's something that I'm consuming on the reg. I um, was introduced to it um, through a close friend... And, um, he had a bunch of it. We, we moved in together, um, and he had it on all the time. I'm like, what are you watching? I don't understand what this is. It, it, it there's so many different styles of animation that are happening in this thing. Like, it, it looks like, it, it looks like a, a film project, like, like a student film. I don't understand what's going on here. And he gave me a primer that began with Akira, which is, um a great entry-level place for anybody that is looking to get introduced to the world of anime, Japanese anime, um, and probably any anime for that matter. 1988 um, was the first sort of large production anime film. Um, it had a $10 million budget. Uh, studios such as like Toho and all the big backer, all the big production companies in Japan had a piece of this thing. And they um, they put a lot of work into the production, and it's become a it's a modern day classic. Um, it's a post apocalyptic story that interweaves a ton of like like psychedelic sort of like um, psychic connections between some of the protagonists, and it's it's pretty. Um, it's pretty far out, you know. It, it's you know, like, yep. you know more about this than I do, to be Absolutely. honest. Well, this was, uh, you know, the first anime film that I had really seen. I, I, you know, we'd all been exposed to like G Force and you know, Robotech and some of that, some of that other stuff when we were kids, um, you know. But in fits and starts, and this was the first major film to come over, and I actually saw it in the theater, junior or senior of high school. We made the mistake of taking two girls. Along with us, my friend Tim and I, and they were just like not having any of this for a second. As soon as they saw what they thought of as like quote unquote a cartoon, they just like both started chattering away to each other. <laughs> Fortunately, they weren't sitting next to me, so it didn't entirely ruin it for me. I think it may might have ruined the experience a little more for my friend Tim. And pretty much as soon as we got out of the theater, we dropped our skateboards down, ditched these girls, and went and sat down on a park bench and, like, talked about this movie for two hours. We were so blown away. It's Yeah, it's long. Um, I think it's about two hours long. And um, it, it basically, for anybody who's read the manga, it's it, it hacks off basically the end of it. I, I know nothing about the story itself, but isn't that right? The adaptation is pretty abbreviated. Yeah, I... I have the first issue of it down in my basement somewhere, um, just because of the collectible sort of nature of it. Because I was such a fan of the movie, I didn't actually read all the way through the comic series. To yeah. be honest, I you know was reading the Watchmen and V for Vendetta, and my attention was pulled elsewhere. And because I'd already seen the movie and enjoyed the movie so much, I didn't really feel the need to read through the book. So I didn't actually read it. But 
Um, there are a lot of other, like Lone Wolf and Cub. Is, oh, God. Oh, man. That, so good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And is that, that's an animated series. Uh, they turned it into a series, and then they also did a movie. I know they did. The, the, well, they did a bunch the of The Samurai and the Baby baby Carriage or something like yes. that. Baby Carriage from Hell. Or, the, the Hades. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Baby Cart from Hades. Yeah. Um, which are really good. Um, and, yeah, Lone Wolf and Cub, to be honest with you, that story, I, I like, it's, I, I, that is a little bit more my style. Um, but I chose, I chose this one because it was my entree into the world of anime, and I think it's a great one. It's, it's just so huge, you know? Uh, it would probably make any, any list of top ten anime of all time. Yeah, it has to, yeah. yeah. So, for me, I, um, I thought about this, and I thought about the movies that I'd seen, definitely the Miyazaki stuff, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, um, Vampire Hunter D, which came out maybe, I don't know, four or five years after Akira, but was also this, like, very seminal piece. Blade, the, if you saw those, the Wesley Snipes movies, I feel like we're in uh, just a complete Hollywood ripoff of Vampire Hunter D. Yeah. Because it was exactly the same premise. He's half vampire, he hunts vampires. You know, and it's like... And Blade basically came out with the exact same premise. Of course, yeah. Um, so, anyways, uh, I chose something that has had a big impact on both mine and my daughter's lives uh, recently, which was uh, Avatar The Legend of Korra. Um, now, this isn't the original um, Avatar The Last Airbender series, which had a, um, a young boy avatar. In this one, the avatar's a young girl. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen The Last Airbender uh, series. There was three series originally aired on Nickelodeon. I encountered them on YouTube, where they kind of became a cult sensation. The M. Night Shyamalan Last Airbender movie is a, <laughs> a injustice to any anything that has the word Avatar on it. Uh, definitely steer clear of that. Even my uh, daughter, who was three at the time, rejected it within ten minutes. It was so poor and so bad. <laughs> Takes a lot for a three-year-old to reject a movie. But The Legend of Korra, one of the things I love about it is it um, seamlessly blends together many different sort of anime traditions. It's got some speed racer stuff. There's uh, a, a girl named Asami whose dad produces all these sort of like mechs and cars and kind of racing stuff. Um, it adds in um, uh, metal benders and um, these uh, people that sort of almost harness electricity and um, there's she very much looks like a character at a speed racer. There's uh, you see visions of Akira, you see visions of G Force and kind of Robotech and um, all sorts of different stuff. So you feel like watching it is kind of almost like uh, you know in the same way that someone like a Quentin Tarantino pulls from all these different traditions and pastiches right. them into action movies. It's almost like a history of like um, 70s, 80s, and 90s anime within this show, and it's just an amazing, well-written, very well-acted show in and of itself. I, of course, love to see female protagonists kicking ass, especially when I'm sitting down to watch something with my daughters. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's very, very well done, very emotional. It has definitely funny sort of comedic moments. There's lots of great characters, um, and I would recommend it to anyone. I think there are four or five seasons. It also uh, appeared uh, originally on Nickelodeon, but I think at this point you can watch it on either... Uh, get entire seasons on Blu-ray, or you can probably watch it on Netflix or Amazon. Cool. Nice. I'll have to check that out for sure. So next category, eat. Um, we want to talk about our favorite uh, cooking resource. 
Yeah, we wanted to do a little bit of a different take on this. We've kind of been talking about categories of food, ramen, barbecue, this, that. So we thought a little bit of a different take on this week. Why don't you kick off with your first resource? I know you picked two. I did, yeah. I love, and I love this topic, and I love, like, doing something a little bit different other than just a particular, like, type of food or restaurant or something, because I love to cook, and so do you. Yeah. Um, and there is... Um, so uh, yeah, like you said, I picked two. There's one person though in particular, aside from my mother, of course, that has been like the biggest influence on me um, in my life in cooking. You know, not that I've ever been a professional, but I love to cook. Jacques Pepin is without a doubt an idol of mine. In like, in like, not just as learning how to cook, but in life, like he, like I've seen everything he's ever done. Every. He, he had a show for five or six years with Julia Child that was amazing. So, so good. Um, and then he had his own show, Fast Food My Way, which was amazing. And you get to really get a feel for the guy. Um, but he wrote a book. Um, it, it's become a, it's a classic. It's called, um, now it's called Complete Techniques. It was released originally in uh, 1974. It was, it was published, La Technique. Um and I won't go into his history as a chef, but he is a classically trained uh, French chef, and he wrote a book in this book, La Technique, in 1974. That was basically for a home chef. This this is before any cooking shows at all. Julie Child would only begin to make her show shortly thereafter. Hmm. But it was like here's how you here's how you debone a fish. Here's how you here's how you clean asparagus. Here's how you properly steam broccoli. Just basics. Hmm. That has gone through a bunch of incarnations. Now, like I said, the latest publication was 2012, Complete Techniques, and it is the... It gives you such a base. Like, there's only... Listen, the French, if they can do anything, they can cook, right? And, I mean, there's only... If you think that, oh, you're breaking down a chicken... Like, you just kind of pull it apart and do whatever. Nope. There's one way to break down a chicken. And Jacques That's Pepin. the Kentucky way. <laughs> <laughs> you break it down, you stick it in some oil, you roll it in some, yeah, some yeah. crunchy bits with some secret formula. Yeah. <laughs> there's one way. There's one way to poach a fish. There's, like, this is the, he's you know, got hundreds of years of French cooking that he's basically, you know, he's basically translated from modern times for us with this, with complete techniques. And it's thick, man. This thing's, this thing's a thousand pages. Wow. And it's a, a hollandaise. There's one way to make hollandaise. There's one way to make Bernays. There's, and that's, and this is the go-to. So what it does is it gives you this incredible foundation to... He shows you, like, you learn, obviously, it's, you gain, you know, skill by doing things over and over again, but he gets you off on the right, you know, the right basis, the right start by showing you how to build your knife skills, how to build your sautéing skills, how to build your broiling and braising and all the basics. So it allows you to have this base knowledge and try all different other types of cuisine. So if I go and I read a recipe that is for some sort of Pakistani cuisine, I can see, I know how to get to that 
chicken thigh. I know, like, I know the basics. I know how to brown off mm. this or that. And I know it because of this book. So, wow. Complete techniques. Sounds Amazing. Awesome. It's I mean, great. My biggest thing with most cook- cookbooks is at the end of the day, there's maybe one or two things you'll cook out of each one. But they just end up stacking up on your bookshelf, and they aren't yeah. actually all that useful. That's right, and and I won't spend long on my second choice. But the um, Mark Bittman's How to Cook Everything, um, I think anybody, any chef will tell you that this is another one that is indispensable because it's not like oh some weird like lemon chicken with fucking thyme or something like this is like what he does is he's like all right, well he's he, at a time this was published in nineteen ninety eight. When the internet is starting to, like, you know, get its claws into everything and it's easier to just look up a recipe on the internet than it is to unfold a cookbook and look at it. So, it's, he made the cookbook relevant again with this series. Well, yeah, I mean, in the world of sort of recipe publishing of the Cooks Illustrated and Cooking Light and all those places, they're just using the same techniques over and over again and spicing things differently so that they have a different recipe every month. But anyone who actually knows the techniques behind those things can look at all those recipes and just see that they're repeating the same base recipes over and over again and taking different sort of seasoning inspirations from around the globe in order to make it seem new. Totally, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, Mark Bittman's How to Cook Everything is indispensable. It And it's laid out in such a, um, such a logical way. It's like, you know, here's broccoli, and here's how to make it, and here's ten variations on it. At, try some almonds, try some sesame oil, try some this or that. And you're like, okay, got it. Here's chicken. Here's, you know, fried, braised, um, you know, sautéed. It's not necessarily recipes. It's just how to, like, make food and make it well and simply. And it's amazing. I've given this book away as a gift a dozen times. Like, it's you got to have it. Hmm. Sounds great. I'm definitely going to pick that one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So for me, I chose something. This is just the first thing that popped into my mind. Um... You know, the, the I have something sounds similar, the Michael Ruhlman's uh, 20, which I think is like the 20 techniques, you know. Oh, yeah. And there are some, some really good things, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. in similar vein. And I agree with you. I think those are the best kind of, re- when you're talking about a resource, a comprehensive resource, those are two great things. I actually picked a website. And this website is the biggest piece of crap on the surface. But once you, try, <laughs> once you start to dig in, I mean, there are ads all over it and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It's AmazingRibs.com. And their tagline is their, and this is exactly what they deliver, all about the science of barbecue, grilling, and outdoor cooking. They're basically like America's test kitchen for the backyard. And this guy will exhaustively go through, is it worth brining a chicken? No shit. And he'll cook chicken a bunch of different ways, he'll grill it a bunch of different ways, and tell you, is it actually worth brining a chicken? Is it worth your time? And what he does is he goes through all the different techniques, all the grills, all the kinds of smokers. He determines the best tools for the job, the best techniques. Is it worth your time? Is it not? Like, and his whole guide is like, can you taste it in the results? Is it worth the effort of what you're going to do that's to taste awesome. in the results? Because that's kind of like the America's Test Kitchen approach, right? Yes, that's which exactly is what which it is, is so appealing. Yeah, I'm going to make. Uh, Steak every single possible way and figure out what is the best possible way to no kick, shit. cook it to get the best results. What's the best cut? You know, what is this? What is that? Um, you know, things like 
And I love it because he knows, he knows what he's talking about. You go yeah. watch any old jackass, and oh yeah, absolutely, he totally knows what he's talking about. Yeah, they, uh, he has people who are actual like you know chemistry ex- PhDs come in and talk about what's actually happening and things like that. So oh, no shit. You, you you know you go. I've got a big green egg. That's the grill I'm using right now. You go on YouTube and you search big green egg. There's a hundred idiots in their backyard oh. <laughs> walking through how, how to do it. It's ridiculous. And this guy at AmazingRibs.com is like, should you soak your wood chips before you're smoking them? Is it actually worth it? No. The water burns off in about 15 seconds and the wood chips burn exactly as fast as they would if you never, ever soaked them. And you just spent two hours and delayed your starting your cooking so you could soak your stupid wood chips. For no reason. And it makes absolutely no difference. No shit. So it's this website is full of stuff like that where he kind of definitively figures out what you should do. Oh, this that's killer. I got yeah. AmazingRibs.com. A terrible fucking name, dude. No. Which is great. Terrible. <laughs> which yeah. is so that, amazing that, that much better. That's kind of the era of the internet we're in. Yeah. Like, you know, you just have to pick a dumb URL or something that's a sentence or something at this point. There literally, you cannot get a, uh, the other day someone was telling me, you can't get a four-letter URL for under $25,000. Cut the shit. So, yeah. Really? That's true. True Holy story. shit. Well, yeah, hence AmazingRibs.com. Yeah. That sounds killer, though. I gotta check that out. It's definitely, whoops, it's definitely worth your time. All yeah. right. A little bit of a teaser there as we go into the listen category. Yeah. So this week, what we wanted to focus on was the best record of 2014, and uh, we each decided to bring in a few samples here. I have to be honest; I'm at a point in my life where I don't. I'm that like typical cliche dad. Yeah. Over 40, I don't listen to a ton of new music. I don't have a bunch. I don't have a ton of time to go to shows or to yeah. devote to discovering new music. So I either take recommendations from friends or things that people I hear from people at work. Uh, I did happen to stumble across uh, and pick up two. Uh, I'm only going to pick one, but my, the, the other one I considered was the new Aphex Twin record. First of all, I'm a huge Aphex Twin fan. It's yeah. obviously been a really long time since he released a record, and uh, his new record, Ciro, 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 whatever it is, de- definitely lives up to the, it's lives up to the hype. It's really, really and good. It's, the most, it's super accessible. Like Aphex Twin, Aphex Twin can be. He veered, veered off towards the end with like the Richard D. James albums and stuff <laughs> yeah. into like, I, I can't dance to this. It's not ambient. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You know, he was pushing pushing the bounds. And I think he kind of got some of that out of his system and went back to like, I'm just going to make a really enjoyable, good record and not feel like. I mean, he's one of the one of the giants of the ambient and electronic world. Oh, yeah. he, he doesn't have anything to prove at this point. No. He can just make the record he wants to make, and it seems like that's exactly what he did, and it's super enjoyable. That, however, is not what I'm here to talk about. I want to talk about the Run the Jewels uh, record, Run the Jewels 2, which is a started off as a side project between uh, LP and Killer Mike, and now is, they've just become like a super duo. This is, uh, you know, no surprise to anyone who knows hip-hop. This is like a... a been a hu- hugely talked about album in hip hop circles, and uh, I just think it's so so awesome, totally worth it. Yeah, so I'm going to um, cue up a sample here from uh, the first track, which is called "Close Your Eyes and Count to Fuck." <laughs> also, interestingly, f- featuring Zach De La Roca from Rage Against the Machine. I think. Oh no shit! So I'll, we'll play a little bit of this here. Run them jewels fast, run them, run them jewels fast, run them, run them, run them, run them, run them, run them, fuck the slow mo. Run them, 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 run them,
slave who protested to get in a fucking cookbook. Everything I scribbled like the anarchist cookbook. Cookbook. Chasing in the center for the cookbook. Black on black on black with the ski mask. That is my cookbook. How you like my style, bro? Ain't nobody styling, bro. About to turn this motherfucker up like right to styling, bro. My brothers and my cripples and my brothers and my brothers. When you niggas don't So you gotta. I, I love super intelligent hip-hop. I mean, I think the beats on all this stuff are, are amazing as well. But I also love really clever lyrics, and you have to love any song that references the Anarchist Cookbook. Yeah, I know, I know. It's so funny. Yeah, this record's great. So, and you were saying, um, amazing record to listen to in the car. I, oh, man. I actually haven't played this in my car recently. I mostly listen to it on headphones at work. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, really great record. So I'm going to queue up another track here. Uh, the next track is called Lie cheat and steal. From the Lucy trip, holding like a crucifix. Blow from the nose, I'm a dragon to a nose. Got an average of being excellent, the median just dope. Like the ratio of heroin, the laxative is sold. Before he's spoken, a man in a pure devotion. Get magnetized to the crime on the Falcons and murder codes. I'm so good, go guano, piano, kind of bad shit. The bright lights are fucking, we suck in the automatic. Teabag a piranha tank, hard bit and beat in a wild one. I swim like the wreck, the optic is eating. I'm holding a toaster rubber that's so I, just, I love the flow. You know, it's, it's like flawless yeah. flow. Oh, Re- yeah. really interesting, really unique. You know, and uh, I'm not like I can appreciate like a club banger hip hop song like as much as the next person, but like at the end of the day, this is a record I'm going to listen to over and over again, and something I'm going to be listening to similar to like a De La Soul or a Tribe Called Quest. You know, like. 10, 15 years from now. So that's, that's why I decided to pick it. Yeah, this thing is killer. This, I love this thing. And there's like, I mean, there's moments in there that are like Eric being Rakim level. Like there's, there's stuff in there that is, I think, super smart and legit. I love that record. Awesome. So what do you got? So what do I got? I got, um, of course, a list of, you know, pick your favorite record. I got 10, right? Um, um, so, and I'm, I'm going to just start out with the honorable mentions. I have to. Perfume Jesus, um, that Too Bright record, I think is incredible. The Parquet Courts out of Brooklyn, Sunbathing Animal. I love the Parquet Courts. Real, young, garage rock kids living off the dollar menu at McDonald's. Gary Clark Jr., um, his live record in 2014, amazing. Um, a little bit of Hendrix, a little, like, he's uh, incredible. And I thought the Beck record was is really good. Yeah, actually, the, I do really love that Beck record too. It's awesome, and you know, I don't give a fuck about that whole him versus Kanye award show thing. I can't oh, give I a could, shit about that. Could give a rat's ass. Yeah. Beck, that that record's amazing, and he's put out some of. You know, when we listed our Desert Island disc, he he was on my list. So oh, I mean, that's right, he was. Yeah, so. yeah, I think that record's killer. I love it. It gets played in the morning all the time. The house, I love it. So I went um, unsurprisingly towards further into the rock and roll world. Um, Twenty fourteen for like the old punks was pretty badass. Like there was a new Stiff Little Fingers record, a new Rancid, Adolescence, Buzzcocks. They all had new records in twenty fourteen, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Um, my pick um, is for actually another kind of old 
rock band. I mean, in ter- you know, old, I don't know. But Shellac, um, dude, incredible. Shellac is a um, an animal born of Steve Albini's brain. Um, for it, it's they're not widely known. They have never marketed. They famously avoid any sort of interviews. Steve Albini is a uh, an engineer. He's a music nerd's like nerd. Right. He is. Um, you know, and the band consists of two other like music engineers. Um, you know, there's there there it's 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 rock. It's unapologetic rock, um, and they play shows that are just blindingly loud and like it's like sonic assault. It's so killer. And so when this record came out, people couldn't believe it. The last, it's been nearly 20 years. And when they announced this record, people went ape shit. So let's check out, um, let's listen to the first track off the record, the title track, dude, incredible. You are fucking with my rock. saying is not like he could give a shit he, he sounds like shit and he knows it and, um, and doesn't care this whole thing this whole band is unapologetic but this record um like is the whole thing is like there's moments in here that ter- that go from like you know they're they're technicians of course you know mm-hmm. um so like their chops are are flawless um but they are they easily go into fuzz mess they fall apart and then they build it back together and they hit you over the top of like they're playing in unison just this super like catchy driving melody. Th- this record is so badass. It's it's not nobody's gonna hold your hand during this thing. It's unapologetic, super hard hitting rock. It's killer. I, I love it. Yeah, it sounds awesome. It, it's really good. So, all right. Well, let's listen to the second track. Why don't you intro this one? Yeah, this is the last track on the record, um, and um, yeah, just roll it. It's it's so great. This whole this whole thing, I just I love it. <laughs>
there's like I, I think this this like this track is a good example because they're again unapologetic. Like they don't give a shit. They know it's not commercial. It's like you know, and you can obviously hear the super hardcore influences there. Um, you know, they're a Chicago band, but you hear a bunch of like Discord records in there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah. you, you can hear all of that in there. Yeah, some of that first track reminded me of you know later Fugazi where they were Absolutely. really you know sort of had that sort of rock but kind of these intertwining guitars and yeah it, stuff that like bordered on fuzz with funk influences or something it's other, so know. good yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly yeah that's i think of that too like there's a fugazi element there too these guys are killer shellac um and check out uh, uh, a thousand i think it's a thousand hertz um, which was 1994, that's probably their best record. And they're streaming, shockingly, because they, like, whenever, they're famous for, like, when critics would reach out and ask for, you know, for albums to review, they would just get, like, they had this famous postcard that they would send out that just said, no free lunch. Like, they wouldn't even give out, like, a, 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 a copy for somebody to review. Wow. So I'm kind of shocked. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're pretty badass. It's a sign of the times, I guess. Yeah, I suppose it is. All right, so for our last category in the read category, this week uh, we wanted to talk about either your favorite uh, or one of the best biographies or autobiographies that you've read. And for this one, I decided to choose. Um, you know, this was I recently had listened to Martin Short's um, uh, autobiography. Um, but that's not what I picked. Uh, it was a, a great performance. Really interesting to hear about his career. That sounds really enjoyable. Um, it's good. I mean, he does all sorts of voices and impressions. It's very entertaining. Uh, didn't quite make it to the level of great for me, but very enjoyable. I actually picked, um, and this is kind of an obscure book, but I looked and you can still find used copies of it on, on Amazon, uh, a book called Ted by the poet and American writer Ron Paget. And it's about Ted Berrigan, the famous um, New York school poet, sort of second-generation New York school poet. And the reason why I love this book is, you know, he and Rod Paget were best friends, and um, it's the way he approaches the writing of the book. It's something like, I want to say, um, 300 really short chapters that are almost like these little, almost like filmic slices of his interactions and what it was like to be friends with Ted Paget. Uh, sorry, uh, Ted Berrigan, who honestly wasn't a, an easy person to be friends with. He was this sort of pure artist who was living at a time when he wasn't making a ton of money off of his poetry and his writing, so he basically was borrowing money from everyone. He um, has, Wait, What year is it? When is this? This is like, um, you know, I would say 60s through okay. kind of the mid-80s when, when, he, when Ted Berrigan died. Um so he and Ron Paget were really good friends. Ron Paget went on to teach in creative writing programs and do do some other you know the things that poets do to kind of scrape by and make a living. Right. And, um, Ted Berrigan, uh, one of the more famous American poets, actually. Like I would say, ever everyone who goes to a literature or poetry program probably knows exactly who Ted Berrigan is. Um, uh, and this book is it's just amazing. He has these little slices of what it was like and things it's it's almost like it's such a personal remembrance and it's so unique that it's just really striking i've probably read it three times i'll probably read it you know three to five more times like before i you know 
shuffle off this mortal coil. <laughs> it's probably one of the like one of the few books, like paper books, I'll keep because I don't think it's probably ever going to come out on Kindle because it was released on a small press. But he talks about things like how um, like, it's just an interesting to me, like what you remember. He talks about the two of them walking around New York together and how they never would leave the house without a book in their hand and. Um, they would just stand in line for movies. They just like went to movies all the time. They'd stand in line for movies and read books. They just like were always out and about and they were constantly reading voracious readers as anyone who wants to be a great writer should be. Um, and at some point they figured out it wasn't like exactly the coolest thing to walk around with a book. So Ted Berrigan figured out that, um, if you just were walking with someone, you said, hey, can you hold this for me for a second? And you, like, pretended to tie your shoe or something, you stood back up and you didn't take it back, that the person would just carry it for you. <laughs> so they, all these different tricks and techniques they had for tricking other people into carrying their books around for them so they looked like the nerds and the academics instead of them. And other little things like how Ted Berrigan, who had been in the Navy, like, was taught to wash dishes in, like, the hottest, most scalding water to, of course, like, kill kill germs or whatever bacteria you can. And just these little things that it's like, what is it that you in particular take away from a person and from your interactions for, from them? And this is just a... I mean, it, read, it reads like poetry. It's prose, but it's these short little vignettes and snippets, and it's so incredibly entertaining, and it feels like at the end you... We're like an intimate friend of Ted Berrigan's. Holy shit. Um, and as a weird side note, I, I found this in a used bookstore in Berkeley um, when we were going to a poetry reading in uh, Berkeley. And I we just went inside a cafe and I was like so engrossed in this book and I just couldn't believe how good it was. I was sitting there reading it. And uh, one of Ted Berrigan's sons, uh, Eddie Berrigan, uh, walked in and I just like kind of covertly slipped it down by my side. I don't know. There was something to me that I just felt embarrassed to be like reading, reading a book about his dad. It just seemed like there were so many people in the poetry scene that were like glomming on to him for that. Like oh. he and his brother Anselm Berrigan, because they were like the sons of okay. Ted Berrigan, you know, and it's like this, you know, second generation fame or something like that. And, um, it just felt weird. I just didn't want right. any one of those people who was like, oh, see, I'm reading a book about your dad or whatever. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that was my pick. Uh, anyone who is into poetry or into biography, I honestly cannot recommend this book enough. If you can find yourself a copy, hang on to it. You'll, I'm sure, read it more than once. Holy shit. That sounds so good. A, a, a book like that about like a personal relationship with a friend is... That sounds... I love it, and I love the construct of it, too. Like, these 300 chapters, that sounds fascinating. I gotta, I gotta check that thing out. You know, we gotta do this... I feel like... Because now that I start to think... I had one that popped into my mind immediately. Um, and... But now that I'm thinking about it, like, the... Uh, this is a huge world. Like, we should... We should do this, like, every... So many... We should do a, a biography slash autobiography because I have so many um I'd love to go back to this um because I can't you can't pick your favorite you know right. it's impossible yeah. it changes right because yep. The Last Lion for me is one of the greatest biographies you know but it's I mean it's damn near unreadable it's like I, I've I've read it um but it's long the Winston Churchill biography right. it's a lot you know um but the one I chose um I, there's a do you know um You Can't Win Jack Black? No. Oh, Jesus. You're going to love this book. 
um, this was one of my first, like, real dirty crime books where I was like, holy shit, this guy's the real deal. So, Jack Black, 1926, his autobiography, You Can't Win, basically, it, it, it heavily influenced, almost, some people say, created the beat scene. Like, it's an enormous influence on that. He, um, Jack Black was an inveterate junkie, thief, um, robber, highwayman, safecracker. He was a fence, like, everything. He was just a, like, all-around shitheel. This sounds amazing. It is so, (laughs) it's so good. So, he, um, you know, in, in another, he was also, this was in a time when he was a hobo, He's freight hopping. So there's like, there's that sort of hobo freight hopping story, which is so good. Like, that shit is the best. Yeah. But he like made his way from town to town, holding people up, cracking safes, like just in just scoring and just spending, blowing his money on junk. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. he was a complete junkie. So there's like, you know, he, his use of characters is awesome. Like, he, as he moves around the country, He's meeting all these greasy ass prostitutes, and like he's in and out of jail. So there's like characters like Salt Chunk Mary, who's like a fence in Oklahoma City, you know. And then there's like Half Foot George, or like or Foot and a Half George, who um, I forget who he was, but there's like so many colorful characters. It's amazing. So he is um, this criminal for thirty. Some on years in and out of prison. He ends up in San Francisco just after the turn of the century. So mm-hmm. sorry, yeah, I didn't date this at all. This starts like eighteen eighties, um, like mid eighteen eighties to late, like you know, maybe like eighteen ninety or so. so. He gets going in there, and he winds up in San Francisco. Um, gets sentenced to twenty five years right before the earthquake, um, which was in 06. Earthquake hits. Court records are wiped out. He's uh, he's starting a 25-year stretch. And um, so basically the, the San Francisco earthquake happened, but what destroyed the city was the fire, mm-hmm. right? Because you couldn't put it out. So um, court records burned. He kind of languished, which is a story I've never actually looked up, but what happened to the prisons in San Francisco after the earthquake was fucking gruesome. Like, they were just, like, forgotten about for years on end, you know? I mean, obviously, they kept them alive, but nobody knew who was who or what was what, because everything's written on a piece of paper. So this shit burned, and he was like, I'm out. Like, you don't know, like, I'm here for, you know, whatever. Jaywalking. I'm out. He bailed and became a newspaper librarian and start that's kind of started his literary career, but hmm. continued to be a junkie, like kind of huge influence on William Burroughs. Um, wow. This, this thing is so good. It's such a fast read and it's greasy as shit. It's so good. Sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, I wanted to give a special shout out and a good looking out. Thanks to Kaya Fisher for all the audio, oh, audio man. engineering assistance she's been giving. For sure. Thank uh, without you. you, we'd sound like we we're at the bottom of a swimming pool. And thanks to you for listening to Good Looking Out. You can find us online at glopodcast.com. You can email us at goodlookingoutpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at glopodcast. And remember, life is too short to waste time and money on bad shows. Thanks. See you next time.